This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Tuesday the 16th of August. In your Squiz today, Morrison's Multiple Ministries, a breakthrough in kidney transplants, record interest in the AFLW, and getting a look at Longbourn. This is your Squiz today. Starting with politics this morning, Claire, it's come to light that during the pandemic, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison appointed himself to multiple additional ministries, those of health, finance, and then the industry, science, energy and resources portfolio. There's been a fair bit of reaction to it. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has called the secret arrangements weird and is getting advice on the legality of it. But let's just take a step back, Claire. The first part of the story has to do with the health and finance departments during COVID. So what's come to light is that Morrison was appointed to those departments in March 2020. When you think back to that time, of course, COVID was just very new. Uh, We weren't really sure what was going down, Mm. uh, but those two portfolios were very important in the response. Uh, What reports say is that Morrison thought it best that there be a joint health minister in case the health minister, Greg Hunt, got sick. That was a big consideration. Uh, But also there were some emergency powers uh, and the idea was that with those powers uh, came a great deal of responsibility and it wasn't such a bad thing to have the Prime Minister share in those powers uh, because they included things like introducing martial law so pretty dramatic. Mm. Uh, When it comes to the finance portfolio, of course, keeping the money flowing at that time was a very important thing. Uh, And again, there were worries about health and making sure that someone was able to administer that portfolio. Uh, Looking back, though, it seems that Greg Hunt knew that that's what Morrison was doing. But the then finance minister, Matthias Cormann, did not know that Morrison had made himself a joint minister. So there were lots of questions about the secrecy around all of that, uh, not just within the government, but why the Australian public wasn't told about it. Yeah, that's definitely one political issue that's coming out of it. When it comes to that third ministry that Morrison appointed himself to, that's the Industry, Science, Energy and Resources Portfolio. That one doesn't have anything to do with the pandemic and continuity plans. No, it doesn't. And that's why it got a lot of attention yesterday. There are a lot of Morrison's colleagues who said they could understand and get their head around why he did that with the finance and health portfolios, uh, but not with this resources portfolio. What seems to have happened is that Morrison wanted to get involved in that department because there was a big decision to be made about the renewal of an exploration permit for a big oil and gas project that sat off the coast between Manly and Newcastle off the New South Wales coast. There were several Liberals who hoped to win or hold their seats uh, in the election that we had earlier this year, and that issue was becoming a big one politically. That 
portfolio, the resources portfolio, was held by a national named Keith Pitt. Uh, He wanted that permit to be granted, but Morrison decided to knock it back. And it seems that having that delegation as a joint minister gave him the ability to do it. There's been plenty of reaction coming out about these appointments. Several of Morrison's colleagues and his opponents are saying that his way of wielding political power was wrong. As for Morrison's reaction to the story, yesterday he said he didn't want to comment because he's not engaged in day-to-day politics since leaving the top job. As we mentioned yesterday, it's been a year since the Taliban retook Afghanistan and the world watched as those record evacuation efforts lifted more than 100,000 people out in a few short days. Fast forward to now, Claire, many are still waiting and trying to get to Australia. Yeah, and what the Department of Home Affairs says is that more than 5,500 Afghan nationals have arrived in Australia. Uh, They're on temporary humanitarian visas. Uh, That's happened over the course of the last year. Uh, But demand far outstrips supply. There are 31,500 places available to Afghan nationals and their families for the next four years, but there have been applications from more than 200,000 Afghans. a spot on that humanitarian program. Of course, there's a lot of pressure on our officials because we're talking about people who really helped Australia during that 20-year conflict. Uh, Their interpreters, embassy staff, guards, aid workers, people who really helped Australia out. Immigration Minister Andrew Giles says the situation is very, very difficult and that they're trying to prioritise Afghans who assisted Australia, ethnic minorities and women and girls as well. In health news, there's been a significant breakthrough in the area of organ transplants, with scientists finding a way to convert kidneys to a universal blood type for transplants. And that's really important because, of course, organ transplants really do come down to a very fine science of eligibility and the ability to be matched, and blood type is a very big one of those. Uh, What some very smart researchers at Cambridge University have done is that they have converted kidneys kidneys to type O blood, which of course is the universal type. Uh, What they did was basically they bathed the kidneys in a chemical cocktail and it sort of stripped out with an enzyme all of the antigen markers that identified those organs as type A or type B and it reset them to type O. Uh, Gee, some scientists are clever, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. They do such incredible stuff. There are a few regulatory and ethical issues still to unpick so it's not known yet when the technique will be able to be widely deployed. We've been noting the heatwave that's causing soaring temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere in the podcast over the last few weeks. It's now confirmed that 60% of the European Union and the UK are in critical drought conditions. As you say, we have talked a lot about those record heat waves, uh, the scorching heat that many people have had to suffer through uh, during their summer. Uh, It's a difficult time, of course, when we've come out of COVID and the issues with the war in Ukraine, but it's just another factor that's affecting trade, uh, affecting tourism and also food and energy production. Uh, Some incredible pictures coming from that part of the world of just how dry things are. It's also affecting other parts 
parts of the world in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, much of the United States is also in drought, uh, as is the Horn of Africa, and there's some really bad food issues there uh, heading into humanitarian disaster areas. Yeah, they're already dealing with food shortages that have been brought on by the war in Ukraine. Meteorologists reckon that without any rain being forecast soon, this drought could be Europe's worst in 500 years. A message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP. To sport now, and it's been five years since the AFLW launched with eight teams. The comp is now in its seventh season with 18 teams competing. Next weekend, we'll see age-old rival clubs, the Bombers and the Hawks, meet for the first time in the women's comp. And safe to say there's a fair bit of interest, Claire. There really is, and really great news for anyone who loves sport that there's so much interest in yeah. uh, the Women's League, but footy in general. Both teams are new to the Women's League when the latest season kicks off late next week. Uh, they were booked in on the Saturday to play uh, at the Northport Oval, which has a 12,000 capacity. What they've had to do, though, is shift it to Docklands, where there's a 53,000 capacity stadium, uh, such (laughs) is the high demand for tickets. So really incredible for women's sport and really great for those two new teams. Yeah, just awesome to see that kind of demand out there. Now, it's a truth universally acknowledged that the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice is the best. (laughs) With that out of the way, if you've got a couple of million bucks, you could buy yourself the Bennett family home, Claire. Yeah, more than a couple of million, um, (laughs) 10.2 million uh, is what they need for that home. We're talking about that beautiful house in the Cotswolds. Uh, We're talking about the 1995 adaptation that has Colin Firth (laughs) as Mr Darcy, Mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer Eel. Uh, It's just an incredible production and I remember that house very, very clearly. Sadly, don't have 10.2 million bucks up my sleeve to buy it as a holiday home. No, it would be nice though. I'd be moving in if you did, that's for sure. Squiz the day, Claire, what are you taking note of today? Uh, today is Taika Watiti's birthday. He's, of course, the renowned director. Mm. Um, some good personal news for him. He's just married Rita Ora on the weekend, the pop singer and the judge on all sorts of music shows. So good luck to them. Good for them. Uh, I have <laughs> the opposite of wedding and birthday news. It's the anniversary of the death of Elvis today. That happened back in 1977 and a reminder that I really want to get to the movie and see the Elvis blockbuster. I've heard such good things about it. Yeah, don't even start me. It's been on my list forever. That's all from us today. Have a good one. We'll be back with you tomorrow. G'day, I'm Kate Watson, co-host of News Club. News Club this week was an interview with Lauren Sams. She's the fashion editor at the Australian Financial Review. She's all over the business of fashion and retail, so I pulled her in to talk to us about fast fashion and ultra-fast fashion. In particular, businesses like Timu and Shein, who in Australia alone are on track to record more than $2 billion in sales. Here's a clip from that conversation. What is happening is that 
it's recalibrating fashion as a single-use item. Mm. So when you think about something that's 6 or $7, you know, my, I bought coffee this morning and that was $5.50. And that that's a single-use item to me. You know, I, I have my coffee. Like actually is, like you cannot use that twice. No. <laughs> and so when you're talking about a dress yeah. that's sort of an equivalent price, People equate it with something that doesn't need to be valued. Um, You don't need to wear it again. To listen to the full interview, just search for News Club in your podcast app and hit follow.